The following opinions expressed within the content are solely the speakers and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of Child Free Media Limited or its affiliates. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Child Free Into the Future. I will be one of your moderators, Cody Hetzel. And I'll be one of your other co-moderators, Lenora. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> Whatever. Um, thank you to our sponsors, presenting sponsor, Child Free Media, Champion Level sponsor, Child Free Wealth, and other sponsors, 365 Diversity, Best Child Free Life Possible on Facebook and the groups, Buy Child Free, Buy Child Free, Merchandise Shop, Child Free Family, Child Free Journals, StopHavingKids.org, StreamYard and the books The Age of the Child by Chris Intensi and Wild Egg by Jennifer Flint. And our disclaimer, opinions expressed within the content are solely the speakers and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of the event or its affiliates. You think we so would need that, that but, <laughs> but you, you never, never know. know. <laughs> I, look, I want to be here for 2023. So uh, yeah, All we'll right. put that there. All right. So we have Kelly. Sarah and Stephanie, all from the Center for Biological Diversity. Yeah. Welcome. You guys are familiar with each other, I believe. <laughs> In some regard. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself, and we'll start with Kelly and work our way around. Sure. Well, welcome. It's great to be here. Um, uh, so I, I work for the Center for Biological Diversity, and um, I have a bachelor's in natural resources and a master's in public health, and was really excited to kind of come work at the center to work at the intersection of those two. So I get to work on family planning um, and, and, um, and reducing consumption. So that's a little bit about me. I'm currently in Florida. Awesome. Stephanie, how about you? Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie Feldstein. She, her. Uh, I live in the Pacific Northwest and work for the Center for Biological Diversity. I'm the director of the Population and Sustainability Program there. And, you know, as Kelly said, we work to address um, the, the effects of population and consumption on wildlife and the environment and really how to address those issues through ways that are um, that are empowering and that advance uh, justice, equity, and, and human rights. Personally, um, obviously I'm child-free, that's why I'm here. Um, I have several rescue animals. Um, I've always been involved in the animal and environmental movement, and I'm also the author of The Animal Lover's Guide to Changing the World. All right, and Sarah, last but not least. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sarah, she, her. I live in Western New York, and I'm an organizer at the Center for Biological Diversity and work with um, Stephanie and Kelly on population pressure in the environment. Um, so kind of obviously the same issues they discussed. And yeah, working at the center gives me a lot of opportunities to talk about um, being child-free more than I think I would in a lot of other day jobs. So I think that's pretty fun and tying it to the environment. Um, I have a bachelor's in wildlife conservation and a master's in biology, so I've always had a passion for that. It's cool, and it's cool to be, get to bring in the reproductive rights side of things as well. And it's very serendipitous would be, I guess, maybe the term for the three of you being on this panel, because I don't think the three of you planned on necessarily being on it together. But once we kind of pieced this together behind the scenes, we're like, wait, they all work for the same thing. Let's put them on this panel because it makes a lot of sense 
to do that. And so we're glad you you agreed to all join uh, us on this panel. So thank you very much. So speaking into the future, uh, five years from now, what do you think the conversation will be like within the child-free community? And how do you think society will view the child-free conversation and community? Uh, so we'll start with Kelly. Sorry. <laughs> Give me some direction. <laughs> Kelly, go ahead. No, that's okay. So, um, you know, I, I really hope that society kind of starts to understand this lifestyle more. I, I've been child-free for, you know, well, I'm in my mid forties, but, um, but when I finally made the decision, it's been about 20 years now. And, um, you know, I, I hope that five years from now that society and, and we continue to, um, be welcomed and, and less pressure to have kids, but, um, I'm not necessarily holding my breath. I feel like some of the systems at play are still very much, um, you know, wanting us to have kids and, and dare I say consumers. Um, so I think that while sentiments may be changing, we still have a ways to go for, for systems change in five years. Thank you. Stephanie, go ahead. Well, I think it's really exciting to see how the conversation is changing right now because, I mean, thanks to social media, like we see a lot of people who are really out there owning and celebrating being child-free. I mean, I know for me, there are people I follow on social media for completely other reasons, and then randomly I'll see them talking about being child-free. So I know that you know, there's just a lot more of that conversation happening. And I think, you know, when you combine that with all the anxiety that's happening right now around the climate crisis and the economy and all these other global issues that the child-free community will only continue to grow, I think, in our visibility and our support for each other. And I mean, I'm not saying that pronatalism is going anywhere, like that's still going to be around, but I think that we're seeing more and more child-free role, role models that's gonna play a huge role in normalizing it and I think making it like more of a core part of the, the conversation and you know how we deal with each other both within and outside of our community. Thank you. Uh, Sarah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that kind of, as we begin to hear all the different reasons people decide to be child-free, that it becomes more normalized, people become more open about discussing their choice and kind of making that easier for others who maybe haven't given a thought to you know, think more critically about whether, they, whether or not they wanna have kids. Um, and that, you know, people with kids don't see it as a judgment on them either. Um, that it's a decision you're making for yourself. It doesn't necessarily mean you're trying to say anything about anyone else's choices. Let's go a little bit farther versus five years. Let's go 25 years into the future. So uh, so th for those that are 25 years in the future, looking at the archive video of this, how did it turn out in the comments? <laughs> but uh, as more people speak up about not having kids, how might this impact uh, policy in the workplace and beyond? Um, Want me sorry. to start? Kelly, yes, please. <laughs> That's okay. I'm getting, I'm getting the hang of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as I said, it's, it's been 20 years since I made my decision, and I, I distinctly remember um, learning about the child-free lifestyle. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I, I honestly didn't, and this is crazy to say, I didn't really think it was an option. <laughs> Um, and I happen to be in roller derby and, and my, my peers, I was like, yeah, I don't really know if I want kids. And they're like, oh, there's this whole thing, child free by choice or, you know, join this no kidding group. And, and so when I finally made my decision, I realized I needed, I needed things that weren't, weren't being provided. And, um, so it was medical professionals that were willing to kind of take me seriously. Um, I went to a 
counselor as I was making this decision that did not go very well. They were not very child-free understanding. Um, and then, you know, all my friends were kind of having kids. And so I needed this social group. Um, and, and don't get me started on the workplace policies. I mean, you know, I, I learned early on that that was going to be um, somewhat problematic as the one that was choosing not to have children, that the workload would be a little bit different, that, you know, time off or, or um, the availability to take time um, was just thought of differently. Um, and so I hope that 25 years from now, those three things are have improved. Like, I think the social stuff has improved, which is one of the things that you all are doing, right, um, with this conference. I hope the medical profession comes on board even a little bit more um, and that we do have better workplace policies. Awesome. Stephanie, how about you? I think for me, the thing that really stands out is those caregiver policies. And that is what family looks like and really broadening that, that definition. Um, I know in terms of workplace policies, like our workplace is trying really hard to do that already. Like we have policies where we can that really try to expand the definition of family when we're looking at things like um, you know, like time off to care for somebody in illness, bereavement policies, um, and that sort of thing. And I mean, our policies even include pets now. Like we have really rethinking what does it mean about who you care for in your life. Um, and I think that that's going to become more and more important. Um, but it's going to be re really hard for workplaces to make those changes until we start to see changes in federal policy, because so much of it is limited by like, what will the government allow? What will they you know, cover and reimburse and all of that. So, um, you know, so we're going to need to see changes there. But I think that both within the child-free community and outside of our community, like people are losing patience for the unpaid work of caregiving and for not being recognized for how much goes into caring for the people who we love. So, you know, I think that we will start to see more more political pressure to to acknowledge that and to and to redefine family. And, you know, I also think of, you know, how we re-envision what aging looks like. I mean, I think there's a reason why the Golden Girls are still such a touchstone now. I mean, they had kids with this vision of like growing old with your friends and, you know, surrounded by this community that you've created is, you know, is amazing. And I think that, um, that you know, we're going to see more that's supporting that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. And Sarah, how about you? 25 years out. Yeah, definitely just kind of echoing what Stephanie said about the expansion of family, what's considered family, um, because yeah, there's all kinds of different kinds of caring and caregiving that needs to happen outside of just your own children, whether they be biological or you know, stepchildren adopted or anything like that. So supporting that and all the different kinds of family, like people have chosen families that are really important. Um, and just, you know, thinking more broadly about what that means for everyone and being able to support that with useful policies. And so for our comment section, if this is all very US centric with our speakers and the topic, but what's it like in your country or you know where, where you're at? Um, and in the future, when this is archived, still put it in the comments, what's it like in your country? Because things are gonna hopefully evolve and change over time. Well, in Canada, um, <laughs> so speaking of you know elders, um, there's a common comment that child-free content creators Okay, that was unplanned. <laughs> nice alliteration there. Uh, we get that says, you know, wait till you're 50, wait till you're 60. You're going to be sad, alone. So the question is, 50 years from now, what do you think it's going to be like to be a child-free person 50 years from now? There's that assumption that we're going to be repeating what we've seen elders go through 
50 years ago, which, you know, even now I see elders living child-free or otherwise, seeing a vastly different life. So 50 years from now, where do you think child-free people will be, in your opinion? Kelly, we'll start with you. Um, well, I don't know about others, but I, I, I have been aggregating like-minded child-free friends for the last 10 to 15 years that specifically want to live in a warm climate because that's what I want and not all of my child-free friends do. Um, and I, I'm planning a straight up nice commune that we all live off the land, you know, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but not really, you know, so that progressive-minded people that want to, you know, work on society, work on democracy, you know, live off the grid as much as possible. Um, that, that's my dream for 50 years from now and where I hope to be in elder care. <laughs> I think Kelly's going to be running the environmental Golden Girls. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> when I think about 50 years from now and kind of more broadly in the community, like I have a really hard time. Maybe it's because of what I do. Maybe it's just who I am. Of thinking about the next 50 years and not thinking about like what a profound impact that that the climate crisis and all these other things that we're facing today are going to have on us and going to change our world and how we deal with things and our society. And I think that, um, you know, I think that there are going to be a lot of challenges for, for elders, you know, in all situations. But I also think that, you know, there has to be this turning point where we realize that we have much bigger problems to deal with as a society beyond arguing over, like, people's different reproductive choices, among many other, you know, things that we argue about that aren't worth arguing about. So, I, you know, I think that there's going to have to be this sort of like, you know, redefinition of like, how are we caring for each other and what does that look like? And so I think that there are going to be challenges that, you know, we're seeing glimpses of today, but I'm hoping that, you know, when we get to that 50 year point, that we'll be sort of on the other side of knowing how to deal with them and being able to come together more as a community to deal with them. And that includes improving, you know, our elder care because it's, you know, overall, it's not a great situation. It hasn't been for a long time, but there's so much that we can do that's better. And I think especially now as we're looking back to more, you know, traditional customs, more caring for people as a community that, you know, hopefully we'll see big improvements in the next 50 years. Sarah? Yeah, personally, I feel like I've had to, um, think a little more proactively um, and be thoughtful about planning for retirement and like, you know, in a few decades, <laughs> look into elder care for myself because um, I won't have my own children to rely on, um, which I think, I mean, like, which is not a guarantee even people with kids have. I think that's a pretty common question, folks, child-free people here is who will take care of you when you're older. And I jokingly, not jokingly say my retirement account with the money I saved by not having kids. Um, but yeah, I think just thinking about that and like I do like maybe I'll go check out Kelly's commune if I get tired of Western <laughs> <laughs> But I do really love that idea of like finding community with friends. Um, I remember my grandmother when she moved out of her house because it was just more space than she needed. She moved into like a really nice retirement community and like she had a nice group of friends she hung out with. And it's like it seemed like a good time. So I would totally be on board with that when I'm like at that stage in my life. In one of my past lives of, of working i've worked at a uh retirement community and they're not that bad people like the one that i was at they had like an open bar like on fridays like you know they had tons of activities and, and things to do and tr they traveled like they would get on buses and go on adventures like 
it's already better than what it was like 50 years ago. And so that's why it's fun to talk about this. Um, but let's go even further. So it's now 2122 Child Free Convention. You have Cody's talking head in a jar. And how might the choice to not have kids be beneficial to natural resources? How might technology have changed? Uh, and uh, how about humanity overall, maybe even benefiting from this? And Kelly, kick it off. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the angle of humanity overall. Um, I, I know my colleagues may, may go in some other directions, but um, you know, we really follow the reproductive justice framework. And, and that is one that everyone should have the right if and when to have children, right? So it includes the, the choice of not having children, but to do that in a safe and healthy environment. And so I would really like to see us be at a place where we are in the, have the ability to choose if and when we want to have kids and, and to do that in an unpolluted, you know, climate friendly, um, you know, biodiverse um, earth, frankly. Um, and, and we can't all be in my commune. So, so I could really <laughs> use some other folks um, working with us on that. There'll be a commune on Mars by then, I'm sure. So oh, we'll, no, we'll branch out. That. We'll branch out to Mars. <laughs> I want to ask. Okay, her reaction. We have to go back to that once the other two. We have to get that anti-Mars reaction. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because when you asked the question and you got to technology, my first thought was, "Well, hopefully by then we won't have people like Elon Musk just like sending <laughs> billionaires into space." <laughs> so it's funny that you brought up Mars then, but. You know, the main thing for me, you know, I often think about natural resources because obviously what, what we do at the Center for Biological Diversity is, you know, we're trying to fight the extinction crisis and we're just a few months away from having 8 billion people on the planet. And that's a huge amount of pressure on natural resources and all natural resources that we're trying to share with other species. And, you know, right now in the coming decades, there's like a million species at risk of extinction. Um, but when you look a hundred years out, you know, if we are able to, you know, to change the trajectory that we're on. And if we are able to, you know, continue advancing reproductive rights and gender equity so that people who want to be child-free can choose to do so, people who want to have smaller families can choose to do so, then, you know, all the projections say that if we continue on that arc, then, you know, you know, continue advancing that arc, I should say, because there are different directions we can go from the point we're at right now. But if that happens, then in a hundred years, there's a good chance that our population can stabilize and even begin to decline. And so, you know, at that point, it'll make it a lot easier to advance all the other things that we want to do in terms of, you know, protecting the environment, having better quality of life for everybody. You know, I mean, there's, there's just, there'll be more to go around. And so I think that there's, you know, in a hundred years, there's a lot to look forward to for, for the natural world. It, well, and you mentioned the, the population declining and that's, some people hear that and they think of like a negative connotation. It's like, oh no, we're like going, like our, if we're going to be, if we're overpopulated now and we're adding more people to it, it's like, well, when were we ever underpopulated? Like, you know, there, there's no one ever talks about when, when we didn't have enough people on the planet. And so it, it's an interesting conversation to, to have and think about um, from that angle. But uh, Sarah, yeah. if you would uh, finish up this question. Yeah. I mean, I hope it just continues to like normalize and like dare I even say we celebrate child-free people for the choice and like as like one of the many ways we can be reducing our pressure on the planet. Um, maybe in a hundred years, if like the population has started to like actually decline in like 
among rights-based ways, not due to like disasters and pandemics, but like we can see the population decline and that like watch everything not actually collapse and see that it can totally be fine. And actually like we're losing less species that way. So hopefully I'd love to prove everyone who says population collapse is gonna be the end of us wrong is what I'd love in a hundred years. And people are, they're, they're child-free for a, a number of reasons. We, we can all probably think of a reason yourself why you're child-free, but a lot of people do say it's to help the environment, to help the future, to not, you know, have a, a kid come into the world that one day may have to fight for water, like who knows? And so it, like to me, it's the obvious answer for any politician out there, any world leaders, like uh, do better, like with the planet and like, you know, how we're treating it. And, uh, you know, maybe it won't be as big of a topic or an issue. I'm just a random thought I'm throwing out there right now. <laughs> There's so many great co-benefits. Like, you know, as Stephanie said, if you support reproductive rights, health and justice, it just so happens that it's, it's good for the environment and, and it's great for people, so. Has there been any pushback or I guess first, has there, what is the attempt to actually share that message out in a broader space for one? Second of all, what's the response been if the answer is yes? Because yeah. I feel like to me, that makes sense. Like that should be a big campaign, but realistically, again, maybe happy Canadian here. I don't know, but you know, it's, <laughs> I, I'm curious because it, 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 to me, it sounds, and not just because I'm child free, but it sounds like something people should be paying attention to because it's going to affect those that have kids, it's going to affect their kids' future and beyond. So why not consider that, right? I'll yeah, let my colleagues take it. <laughs> I get, you know, the short answer is it's complicated. Um, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of different ways that we put the message out there. A lot of what we do is really working on, you know, advancing our reproductive rights piece. But we also do things that are really creative. <laughs> that our condom packages with like brightly colored animal artwork on them and you know these funny little sayings on them and it's funny because they'll say you know say things like wrap with care save the polar bear and and people see these and they laugh at first and then they're kind of like oh like it makes sense to them like once you can break through that initial reaction to like oh wait we're not supposed to talk about this a lot of times people are like yeah that makes sense or people say you know that's something i've i've thought about um i've even given talks before where people have come up to me and said you know I, like everything you said resonates with me and I am worried about this future, but like, what can I do? Like I've already had five kids, like what do I do? And, you know, and so there's just really interesting conversations that come out of it. Um, and I will say that the response, you know, so we use, we use a variety of ways to kind of talk about this, this issue. And we also get a variety of responses. And there are a lot of people who it really resonates with. There are a lot of people who are really hesitant because there are horrible things that have happened and continue to happen in the name of population control. So, you know, there's a lot of like navigating of how like acknowledging that and like, you know, and pushing forward how really it's all about human rights now and all about this choice and the ability to choose to have or not have kids. Um, and, you know, and then there are some people who just don't want to touch the topic with, you know, hundred foot pole. So it's, it's really kind of all over the place, the kind of responses that we get to this. And there's some studies that have, have people have put into overpopulation and they, they eventually say, well, there'll be like a plateauing stage of 11 billion people. It's like, is that better? Like, is, is that something to aim for and look forward to is 11, 11 billion people. That's, you know, well, that's almost like 50% more of what we have now. <laughs> so it doesn't make sense. But they make it yeah. sound like that's, that's a resolution. It's like, well, it's in a capital 11 billion. It's like, you hear what you're saying? 
it's going to be really interesting in November to see if and how that 8 billion number really sinks in for people. Because most people aren't like us. They're not spending every day thinking about how many people are on the planet. But I think, you know, there are going to be a lot of headlines about there are 8 billion people on the planet now. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how that strikes people, especially in light of everything else going on in the world. For sure. To, well, when you just said that, like, it reminds me, you know, everyone, we are all in our own bubbles. And I feel like it's by design. So the, so people like the powers that be don't uh, want, they don't want us to really know that that, that many people, because we're, we're just trying to survive. Most of us are just trying to get through every day, you know, at, just to stay intact and stay sane as much as possible. But when you present it like that, and I'm not someone that is child-free because of the environment. I mean, quite honestly, I, I don't think too much about it. But the more I have conversations with people, the more I hear, you know, and and, and doing events like this, it it really hits home. And I and I realize how so much of this information is important for us to know, but either the way it's packaged or it's just buried under all of the other things that are out there. And again, people just trying to survive and get go from day to day. You know, I guess even 25 to 100 years, how can we, whether it's child-free people or anyone that's concerned, how can we kind of push this more to the surface so people realize, like, th this is serious, this is important, and it might not be sexy, but it's something to pay attention to. Yeah. And any 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 solutions? Quick, we got four minutes. <laughs> Solve the problems of the Solve world. The Go. <laughs> oh, Sarah, yeah, you're... Oh. You're, you're good now. You're good now. Okay. Um, if you'd like to start conversations about this, the condom project that Stephanie mentioned, the endangered species condoms. So this one says, before it gets any hotter, remember the sea otter. <laughs> and inside you get more information about rights-based solutions and the condoms themselves. And you can sign up to receive a box of these. Um, we'll send them to you and you can give them out in your communities at events you want to um, get this message out to folks. So another component of that is we do a lot of um, events at zoos, zoos, museums, and aquariums when they do adult-only um, events. So we're reaching an age-appropriate audience to let them know about this. Um, and those are some really fun conversations to have with people. They're really receptive to it. It's often something they haven't thought about, but like they're excited to know about it. Like <laughs> safe sex can save wildlife. It's a fun message. <laughs> uh, okay, there we go. That's Jared, can you write that in a banner really quick? <laughs> no, don't do it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. Sorry, sorry. No, it's fine. And the website, by the way, I don't know if Sarah said it, but endangeredspeciescondoms.com. You can go there and see more of the condom designs and, and sign up to get the condoms. But you know, I think things like the condoms and this conference are so important to have these conversations because so much of it is about like bringing it out into the light. Because, you know, again, so many people, it's like you start to have these conversations and people are either like, yeah, I've been thinking about that and was afraid to talk about it, didn't know who I could talk to about it. Or, you know, we get a lot of people who, like you, are like, you know, I don't really give much thought to that, but it makes so much sense now that it's in front of me. Um, you know, we're seeing all these polls with more and more people thinking about, you know, like the climate crisis and their family planning. So I think just like having these conversations is so, so critical to, um, you know, to pushing back against those who really would rather have us hide this, you know, people like the billionaires who want to go into space don't want us to talk about these conversations because they make money off of more people. <laughs> right. I did want to circle back to Mars, but <laughs> <you wanna laughs> do that in your wrap up, Kelly. <laughs> 
I was going to say, um, we also did um, a research report called Contraception and Consumption in the Age of Extinction. So if you go to Center for Biological Diversity and search for that, and we had a master's student kind of um, dive deep into the data, and we found that child-free people or people that hadn't had children were thinking differently about the environment. And so, um, yeah, feel free to see that, you know, go, go look for that, but we just need to bring it to light, like Stephanie said, and not go to Mars necessarily. So if anyone wants to reach out to either one of any one of you after the convention, how can they do that? Is there anything you'd like to plug or promote further? Uh, Kelly, go ahead. Sure. Well, our website is biologicaldiversity.org and we have a staff page so that you can find any one of us. And we are in constant communication, even though we're all over the country. But yeah, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Stephanie, anything for you? Yeah, well, I mean, we all have the same website, <laughs> biologicaldiversity.org or endangeredspeciescondoms.com. So um, either of those work. And, you know, also add that we, you know, all of us are regularly, you know, giving talks, helping people, you know, through their own questions on how to have these conversations about being child free, about, you know, reproductive rights in the environment, all of that. So, you know, if there's anything that you might want a presentation to a group or endangered species condoms or, you know, just need advice on it, definitely reach out. I mean, that's what we do. Very cool. And Sarah. Yeah, everything they said, same staff page. I'm also on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. Um, and yeah, happy to talk about any of this more if anyone's interested and wants to know how to get involved with the condoms or have a presentation. Awesome. Thank you very much. This, this is oh. the first time we've had condoms on stage at, at the convention, so yeah. this is pretty cool. <laughs> well, and given the political climate in America, you might get a whole lot of requests for those uh, in the future. So oh, yeah. with, with that, we'll wrap this panel up. Da -da -da. And... <laughs> Uh, I'm done. <laughs> <We're out>. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for being here. Yeah, bear with the moderators. We've oh, it's, it's already been a long day. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Kelly, Sarah, and Stephanie, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for having us. We hope you enjoyed this episode presented by Child Free Media Limited. To stay current with child free content like this, please visit childfreemedia.com and subscribe to the newsletter.